every week we would like to do a shout out to one of our listeners. And before I give this shout out, I wanted to give a little background on it because it's personal. In February of this year, I learned that my dad had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. We have since learned that it is not terminal and the odds of him beating it are favorable. However, it was a driving impetus behind doing this podcast together on a topic we've always bonded over, the Eagles. When I first heard the news, I thought of how heavy of a burden it must be for my dad to bear, and it made me worried. But I had so much relief when I joined my dad for a Super Bowl party at his friend's, George Hall's house. Seeing my dad interact with his friends, Scoot, Boog, Chris, Rod, and George, at the Super Bowl party laughing and joking without a care in the world, reassured me that this would not be too heavy of a burden for him to bear if his friends remain close. So this week, I want to give a shout out to one of those friends, George Hall. You're a bright light in my dad's life. The last time we all got together at Baxter's, I remember my sister and I talking and both of us saying that we hope we have friends as cool and as good as you when we are our dad's age. Thanks for listening, George. Yeah, thank you, Gio. And also a big thanks to our Facebook friends and supporters. What a great encouragement to announce the Bulls on the Birds on Facebook and get so many likes and positive feedback from all of you. We're having a blast, and I hope you're enjoying hearing it as much as we're enjoying putting it together. And hey, feel free to let us know if you have an idea or a topic that you want the Bulls on the Birds to discuss, and we'll kick it around. All right, enjoy the next episode. This is the Bulls on the Birds podcast, episode number five, coming to you from Chester County on Sunday morning. That's right. We're bringing the birds to the western burbs. That's what I'm talking about, man. (laughs) Well, let's jump right into it, DB, with a yes or no. Sounds good. For this season to be considered a success, the Eagles have to win at least one playoff game. Absolutely, yes. How he answered the bell this offseason. And I've crucified him in the past for some poor draft decisions, for extending some players, having big contracts to keep guys around. You and many other fans. Yeah. <laughs> but he nailed it. He nailed he, the offseason and the draft season. together. That puts some pressure on some other pieces to the puzzle, and that is the coaches. And the players. And the players, specifically Jalen Hurts. For the last few years... They've had something of an ex- of an excuse. Think right. of Gannon, the defensive coordinator, last year. He said, I have a great defensive scheme in mind, but I just don't have the players to execute it. Yeah, and he was he probably now- right. And he was probably right. He now has those players. He does. So the players and the staff do have a greater culpability this season, if the season goes awry, because Roseman did such a bang-up job in the offseason. Yep, absolutely. And it's up to the coaches to bring those players together, to bring all that talent together and make it gel. And it's up to the players to live up to that potential. And last season, we made it to the playoffs. Right. So we need to go further than last season, especially with a comparable schedule and all things being equal. Exactly. Yep. Sirianni officially canceled the last practice of OTAs and sent all the Eagles home to summer break early. Now, in the very least, he did do it in a rather uh, comical way. He had Aaron Moorhead, the Eagles wide receiver coach, and Nick Rollis, the Eagles linebacker coach, field punts. And I think as long as they fielded one of the first five or something, then the final practice was canceled. It's not a huge bar. (laughs) That's setting that one too high. Especially for Moorhead, because I think he was a wide receiver on Peyton Manning's team at one point. Right, yeah. You'd expect for him to field at least one one of the five punts. Yeah. You know the players were cheering them all on. Oh, yeah, you bet. 
But this very much follows a theme that we've seen with Sirianni and the Eagles this offseason of having a very laid-back, almost lackadaisical approach to training. If the Eagles get off to a slow start, say a 2-5 and start like last year, Sirianni's going to get some heat. I'm going yes on this one as well. It's it's a coach's job to have his team ready mentally and physically and prepared. You do that with practices. Right. We had 10 OTAs, and he cut it down to six, and then we dropped the last one. So you have five OTAs. He took 50% of what was on the table. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of young pieces here that don't know each other. And don't know the system. Right. We need them to gel together. You don't want to just push that off to... When camp officially opens, you got to you got to get some of that momentum going right now. And it wasn't just the OTAs that were cut in half, but we didn't do any eleven on elevens. Yeah, seven on sevens that that helps get your timing down between wide receiver, quarterback, running back, tight end, slot guys. I, I get that. You need the eleven on eleven dynamic to see where you need some improvement. Now, Sirianni's rationale for taking a much easier approach to the off season was, one, gaining rapport with the players. This is something that they desired to have. Right. But also, his number one reason was that he's hoping to cut down on injuries during the regular season, and he thinks taking his foot off the gas pedal during the off season is going to accomplish that. Do you find some validity in that reasoning? I do see some validity with that, but I don't think that Trump's getting together, and it's not like they, they don't have pads on. Right. The Cowboys got fined because they did 11-on-11 and they had some hitting. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, the Cowboys won the East last year. <laughs> okay? So had we come out with a better first seven games, maybe be better prepared, maybe we win the East. I tell you, he, he's got to definitely hit the Eagles camp preseason he's got to hit that out of the park because when you take this out out of the equation you're you're leaving little room for error agreed i'll tell you this this might not come back to haunt sirianni but in the very least he's taking a pretty significant roll of the dice yeah with this move especially as a second year coach yeah that that took a lot of uh, chutzpah yeah i mean this is that as a second year coach (laughs) i mean no no one else in the league is really following this i no. Uh, aside from the Bengals, and I, I think Doug Peterson with the Jaguars has taken a little bit of an easier approach. Now, Jacksonville, they're rebuilding. <laughs> you know, Doug's got to establish some rapport with the guys. I might just be count your blessings before you have to go to war and yeah. get slaughtered. <laughs> yeah, right? We've got a lot of young pieces again. Young guys need direction. They need discipline. They need repetitions. And they need experience. And the way they get that is on the practice field. You don't want all that to come together game one against Detroit. We've got a great opportunity with the first four weeks of the season. We do. And if we get off to a slow start, that could be the entire season gone. Yes, it could. So our nickname for Sirianni going forward is going to be the gambler because he's rolling the (laughs) dice on this one. I agree. I agree. All right. Connecting and bonding is one of head coach Nick Sirianni's five pillars of a successful team. In all of his interviews, he's always brought up this word, connecting, connecting, connection. Right. The Eagles have done a lot of bonding this offseason, from raising money at the Autism Challenge, painting the mural, and raising the playground at West Philadelphia Elementary School, and even taking a trip to Boston to watch the Celtics play the Heat in the playoffs with owner Jeffrey Lurie. 
Lurie's a big Boston fan. Yeah, he's a big Boston yeah. guy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is, actually. Connecting and bonding as a team is an underappreciated concept in the NFL. It's certainly valued at the high school and college level. Right, right. It probably is undervalued in the NFL, so I'm going with yes on that. Now, having just said that, it's even more important to connect and bond on the field. That's a really good point. You can have the off-field stuff bond after bonding on the field, but I, I think your first priority has to be connecting and bonding on the field. You get that through practice. You get that through 10 OTAs. You get that through minicamp so that you come into the Eagles preseason camp ready to go, not not establishing the foundation then. Connecting and bonding off the field only goes so far when, yeah. you, when you start to lose games on the field. And I totally get the connecting off the field. I mean, QBs – you know, bring wide receivers in in the offseason. They're throwing the ball together. Yeah, Tom, Carson Wentz did it. Carson Wentz did it with his ranch in North yeah. Dakota. I remember Tom Brady posting on his Instagram yeah. six months ago, took his wide receivers on vacation with his family up to Montana right. where he's got a football field that he practices with them on. Yeah, but he didn't do that in lieu of five OTAs. <laughs> right, right. You know right, what? Right, that, right. Was a, that was an extra piece. I understand trying to connect with the players, and I do think that's very important. Agreed. But I just prefer to see it done uh, within the confines of a full practice schedule. That's how uh, Coach Boone did it and Remember the Titans. And he's certainly the example <laughs> to follow. Yeah, yeah. Eagles defensive line ranked top 10, actually number 9, by sports media outlet PFF. All right. They deserve to be top 10. I, I, I think they do. We've uh, traditionally had a strong D-line. We've added a lot of depth to it. Yeah. Look at a guy... Like Barnett, who for a number one draft pick was a real Has been something of a disappointment. Yeah. But he gives them a lot of depth. He does. And some experience now, too. Agreed. Yeah, he's in his fifth year. And what I'd love to see also is Dallas at number 21 and the Giants at number 22. Yeah, that was pretty shocking. I, I do think the Eagles defensive line deserves his top 10 billing. I think they would have gotten it even without having drafted Jordan Davis in the first round. Yeah. Because when you look at the dynamic duo of Hargrave and Cox on the interior D-line, yeah. and couple that with Brandon Graham, right? That, that's a dynamic defensive line that yeah. deserves a top 10 billing. Then you add to that this athletic freak in Jordan Davis. Exactly. And I, I think they could potentially outperform their number nine spot. Yeah. Now, the team I was surprised to see also in the top 10 at number two was the Washington Commanders. That's a little surprising to me. I know they had a lot of pieces last year, but they had guys out on uh, missed 15 games, I think, between uh, I think they're Chase two, Young. Chase Young from Ohio State and Montez Sweat as well. Right, yeah. And they're both coming back this year. Yeah. And then they also have on the interior Jonathan Allen, right. who was originally drafted by the Bears out of University of Florida. Okay. He was an absolute beast at Florida. He was and an the undersized. Bears know what they're doing on defense. The Bears know what they're, they're doing on like defense. Kind of like the uh, NFC version of the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens. Yeah, they really do. So I could see them being a top two D line. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the rest of the team is there, and, and that's I, why I'm not necessarily worried about right, this ranking. Right. And I think that's where it falls apart. I think that that article you were looking at, they were ranked as a total defense 27th <laughs> last year. So, it's so almost like what? <laughs> what's behind the D line? Ain't a whole lot. 
If you took a weighted average, <laughs> right. how does that even work? How do you have one category where you're number two and there's only 32 spots to yeah, fill? Yeah, so you can't they, be 52 to come out and average 20, 27. They must be 32 in every other yeah. category or yeah. something. Well, good luck to the D-line. Right. You know, and, and the other thing to say about this being a surprise, their offense wasn't very good last year. And because of that, their defense was out on the field a lot. You know what? That's an excellent point. Maybe that's where they got down all the way to 27. (laughs) They're taking some negative points from the offense as well. (laughs) Right, right, right. Probably just through sheer exhaustion of being out there too, right? You know what? It it reminds me of uh, when Chip Kelly was saying ball possession doesn't matter. Well, it does when you're... Defense is out on the field yeah. all the time. Seventy-five percent of the time, yeah, you guys are scoring, but you know what? These guys are out there seventy-five. Days. At some point, that's going to break you. And David Spadaro's interview of James Bradbury this week, he asked, "What was different about Philadelphia as a city?" Now, remember, Bradbury is a veteran. He was originally picked up by the Carolina Panthers, so he spent some time in Charlotte, and then he was traded to the New York Giants. So he's been around major NFL cities, right? And Bradbury said this about Philly, which I think is pretty cool. Philly is different in that people recognize him at the airport and in public way more than in any other city he has played for. Nice. Do you like how crazy Philly fandom is here? Oh, man, that's another absolute yes. (laughs) That's why a father-son team from Downingtown has a following, (laughs) following the birds, right? Eagles fans are serious, man. Yeah, we love our Eagles. They're devoted. And it's great to see that kind of passion. And honestly, the, the other side of that coin, though, is it can be really tough on the player as well. Carson Wentz. Yeah, he got run out of town. He, he did. And that's after bringing us to the doorstep. Of the Super Bowl. Of the Super Bowl in an MVP season. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that can go to, uh, two ways. But that's, that's the passion of the Eagles fan. Yeah, I agree. Bradbury. Un- unbridled. Unbridled, for sure. <laughs> Bradbury had an awesome story that he told in the interview. He was talking about when he first came to Philadelphia. He was coming up from Alabama where he was born and raised. And pulling into the Philly airport, he was asked by the stewardess on his plane, you know, where are you coming from? He said, oh, from Alabama. She asked, what are you, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I'm actually going to be playing football for the Philadelphia Eagles. And as soon as she heard that, she got on the loudspeaker and announced to the entire plane that a Philadelphia Eagles member had been riding with them the whole oh, time. Oh, that's awesome. And the whole plane just broke out in applause. <laughs> and what a what a cool story that's to welcome fantastic. you to Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. And he's got to love it. How, how, how much does that endear you to a city and their fans? It's got Right to. off the bat, the Phils just went on the nine-game win Winning streak. Winning streak, that's right. Yeah, and they're now relevant. And we're in early June, and we're talking about the Eagles. Eagles. Yeah, and and that's how passionate Eagles fans are, and it's great to see. The Eagles love their players until you give them a reason not to. Sure. Ben Simmons couldn't even be an Eagles water boy. (laughs) That would not not cut it here in Philly. (laughs) Nope. Agreed. Lots of talk about us potentially trading for a safety during training camp in August just like we traded for the cornerback Ronald Darby in 2018. At the same time, there is a lot of talk about how improved Marcus Epps is at the safety position. So yes or no, DB, Marcus Epps will start the year off as the Eagles' safety come the regular season. The alternative would be how he wheels and deals and gets us yeah. a safety. Yeah, wow. That's, that's a great yes or no question. My gut tells me yes. Everything we've been hearing coming out of camp, 
Epson Proving, right? Bradbury and Darius Slay really helping him develop. Yeah, the as rest a of the D guy. is going to take a lot of pressure off of him. So you think of it in those terms. Why would you go out and commit more money to a position that's at this point is probably a luxury? But I I don't discount the chance that Howie pulls off another deal again. I agree. I mean, it is in his nature to wheel and deal, so he's going to do. What he knows. Yeah. You know, what to how do, he's right? going to do what how he does. Yeah, exactly. Hassan Reddick has had double-digit sack seasons the last two years. 12 and a half with the Cardinals in 2020 and 11 with the Panthers last year. Now, Philadelphia has a history of disappointing linebackers. Yeah. In light of that, Reddick will have another double-digit sack season still with the Eagles this season. We're going to go with another yes, and this is going to be a clean sweep for the yes or no. All right. All yeses. You know, he's a Temple guy, comes home. That's an awesome part of the story. It is. That's a fantastic story. Makes a big splash. The only way I see him not being able to pull off double-digit sacks, and it could be a good thing, if you look at how how you're going to attack the Eagles, you got two really strong corners. Bradbury and Slay. Yeah, so, you know, the outside or deep game, that might be tough. I think the one area they might see is, well, let's, let's test the linebackers. Traditionally. Yeah. That would be a, stuff, a smart strategy the middle, against the Eagles. Get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quickly. Right. And, and so Reddick doesn't have time to get to he the He simply doesn't have the opportunity. Yeah. Or if they their defense is just so complete that they've got four or five guys with eight or nine sacks. Right. Which sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. Right, DB. Excellent yes or no. Just a yes section this time. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. All right, so jumping into our main show. The Eagles are continuing to expand their international brand. Yeah. So we talked two weeks ago about how they are the first NFL team in the league to start a marketing campaign in Africa. Right. And they also started a marketing campaign in Australia and New Zealand. Right. And we just learned this week that Lincoln Financial Field has officially won a bid to be a host stadium for the World Cup in 2026. That's awesome. That's awesome for the city. It's awesome for the link, the stadium. It, it's, it's awesome for this area. This is the first time World Cup matches will be played on American soil since 1994. And Philadelphia was one of only 16 host cities picked, not just from the U.S., but from Canada and Mexico as well, okay. to host these World Cup games. And it's doubly cool because 2026 will actually coincide with America's 250th anniversary. How can you have Philadelphia out of that mix? The first game ever played at Lincoln Financial Field was actually a friendly soccer match between Manchester United and FC Barcelona. It wasn't even a football game. <laughs> It's kind of an oxymoron that, of course, a friendly (laughs) soccer game is played on an American football field. It's a perfect example of why soccer has never gotten and will never get big in America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A friendly match. Yeah, (laughs) and I play, I play soccer. I loved it, but it's just, it's not, it's not football. Yes, it's just not. You don't have that foul. And I think the union. Didn't they go to the playoffs or maybe even the finals this year? I'll have to check that out. There is a following in the Philadelphia area. There's a big following. For soccer, for sure. Soccer and international soccer. The thing of playing a friendly match on a football field kind of reminds me of that 
George Carlin bit about the difference between baseball and football, where he said, in the event of a tie, in baseball, you get extra innings. <laughs> football, overtime, will be rigidly timed, and the winner will be determined, if need be, by, by sudden, sudden death. death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe in baseball, you get to go home. Right. In football, you get to go to the end zone. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great piece by Carlin. He was a classic. When Lincoln Financial Field got approval to be built by the city of Philadelphia, the Eagles brass originally promised that it had become a marquee venue to host not just the Eagles football games and Temple foot football games, but to host renowned events. Since being built, it has played host to the Women's World Cup, CONCACAF, Gold mm -hmm. Cup Final, Copa America, and the Army-Navy Classic, yeah. as well as, I'm sure, a thousand concerts. Yeah. Do you think the Eagles have followed through on their promise to the city of Philadelphia? Hats off to the Eagles organization, top down, to Jeffrey Lurie as an owner for these 30-plus years. Because you look at that, it's a sales job. All right. right? Look, here's, here's what you guys can get from it. And how often does that ever come through? They actually put their money where their mouth is. And they delivered on huge events. And now World Cup's coming back in 2026. It's great. It, it, it says a lot for the organization. It says a lot for Jeff Lurie as an, as an owner. I totally agree. And hopefully some of the excitement surrounding the Eagles franchise and the Eagles stadium can kind of leak out to the rest of the city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In addition to expanding their international brand, they've also just recently signed their first official tequila partnership. <laughs> they signed with a company known as Real Azul. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a Mexican football team, Real Azul. <laughs> it's a Mexico-based ultra-premium okay. tequila distributor <laughs> retailer. And you can expect to see their signage in the link and on social media. Part of the Eagles' official release reads... Real Azul is one of a kind, incomparably smooth tequila. Distilled, rested, and aged in white oak bourbon barrels, it has become famous for its signature, and here you'll be able to tell I did not take Spanish in high school, Blanco, <laughs> Reposado, and Anejo spirits. The bottle's unique features have been specifically designed with perfect presentation in mind for every collector's at-home liquor shelf and cabinet. What's your first thoughts, DB? Okay. Right off the bat, I'm coming out with the obvious one. Do we really want Eagles fans, rabid Eagles fans, hopped up on tequila at the league? <laughs> Evidently, we do. Yeah, and you know what? They're from what I read, they're delivering it with carts, so you don't even have to leave your seat. <laughs> oh man, so I don't know if that's that's the correct strategy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. We'll Let's see, see how it works off for him. Oh man, I don't I don't know about that formula. There could be some lawsuits coming Rio Azul's way. Right, right. But okay, so so I I'm guessing the carts aren't making it up to the seven hundred level. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Maybe they're just going around, you know, the club suites and the owners' boxes. It's a great marketing strategy for Real Azul. Eagles are gonna be on five national games. You know they're always panning to the owner's box. I'm sure there's gonna be and especially if they come out with one in Kelly Green glass and forged in the 
I don't know, the stopper being an eagle. You know they will. Yeah, yeah. And so they're panning the owner suite and Sure enough, what's on their shelf or what's in their hand yeah, or something. Exactly. You know and the NFL will never come out and say it or they won't say it then, but you know, how can you lose getting that kind of advertising? That's for sure. It, it, it makes me wonder, you know, is this actually a Me- Mexico-based company or is this, you know, Julian Lurie's <laughs> friend from Harvard right. setting up shop with his own tequila yeah, company, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like especially the at-home liquor shelf. Every collector's. Yeah, that's right. Liquor. That's right. That, that's some high-end tequila. It is. I think it was like $72 a bottle and Holy that was their smokes. cheapest offering. Wow. So, uh, are we going to be trying some of this tequila, DB? Oh, it, purely for the sake of the show. That's I mean, right. We just got to do our due diligence yeah, for the yeah. fans. Yeah, we wouldn't be doing our due diligence if we didn't do <laughs> and research this for a fuller show. We will be bringing the results of that to, to our fan base. All they have to do is say, hey, this is the official tequila of the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and you just ha- made 80% of Philadelphia yeah, tequila drinkers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a huge success. Exactly. All right, right on. There is a lot of hype surrounding the Philadelphia Eagles this offseason. Yeah. I keep forgetting that we're still like four months out from the regular season. I know. Just because of how much buzz there is around right. this team. And I can't remember the last time there was this much hype around the Eagles team since probably about 2017 yeah. when we went on to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, or the only other time I can think of is they were hyping the Dream Team, and that was a disaster. Yeah, hopefully that isn't the, the yeah. road that we end up Yeah, let's take the traveling. 2017 road. Let's take road. the 2017 <laughs> road for sure. Our coach is in his second year, just like Peterson mm-hmm. was in his second year. So yep. that's I, like, some I like that. I like the similarities. Fortuitous consequence. So I wanted to take a look at the 2017 Super Bowl winning Eagles and compare them to the Eagles of present day. So I'm going to go through some of the important positions. Okay. And I want you to just, upon gut reaction, tell me who would you rather have at each position. Got it. Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts? All right. If I'm getting the 2017 Carson Wentz, I want Carson Wentz. It's hard to pass up the 2017 Carson Wentz. Short of that, I'm going Jalen Hurts. LeGarrette Blunt or Miles Sanders? Oh, Blunt. It's got to be Blunt. We thrive on north-south running backs who can run people over and stay in the game. I like Miles Sanders, but he hasn't had a full season. We need someone who's going to be on the field regularly. Got some fireworks going off in the background. I think they like the show. It's not the weekend of July 4th either. It's just, <laughs> yeah. just a little early. Yeah, right? <laughs> Very patriotic. We, we really have succeeded when our backs have gone north and south. Yeah. And that is something that not just LeGarrette Blunt, but Jay Ajayi did so yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to see more of that out of right. our running back And trio. I think that's why we're hearing more talk about Gainwell. Gainwell, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Alshon Jeffrey or A.J. Brown? Uh, it's not even a question. It's A.J. Brown all the way. And I appreciate what Al, uh, Alshon Jeffrey did because he was a catalyst in that offense for 2017 to open the offense up because we needed a big-time wide receiver. And even though he may not have delivered after that. My man got paid and then he retired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love the idea of bringing him here. Not the idea of keeping him here. There you go. A.J. Brown, I think he's going to rewrite that entire script and, and just 
bring him here, open up the offense, and stay here and make it thrive for years to come. 100%. He's a stud. I wouldn't give up any anyone for him. Yeah. Torrey Smith or Devontae Smith? Yeah, again, same story. I'm going Devontae Smith. Yeah, I didn't realize Torrey Smith's only 33 years old, and he retired five years ago. Man, he retired young. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's something behind that story or what. So Devontae Smith is only 10 years younger uh, than Torrey Smith. But, you know, in his years in the NFL, Torrey Smith only had one 1,000-yard season. Okay. I think he had 430 yards and in 38 receptions for for the Eagles. And I, I remember we signed him because we wanted to open up the field, have have some type of long ball threat because we didn't have a long ball threat. Sean Jackson had gone, needed some to re- someone to replace him. So the thought was good there. But you look at Devontae Smith in his rookie year, he's got 64 he receptions nine, and over 900 yards. yards. Yeah, Devontae Smith on that all day long. And that's with a QB who, granted, is a good QB, but certainly not. Yeah, he's not the pure passer, passer you're thinking like, of. Exactly right. This is a tough one. Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard? That is tough, but I'm, I'm going to take Ertz on that. And I like Goddard. I think he has that. Zach Ertz potential. He's a little more of a complete tight end yeah, than yeah. Ertz in terms of blocking. Yeah. Whereas Ertz was very much a pure route runner. Yeah, yeah. And and he had incredible hands. Exactly. And I think that's where Dallas Goddard loses a little ground to Hertz is, is his hands. But again, I think he can develop that. But he also needs a little more time. Zach Ertz was here and he was the stable of our offense. He had an incredible relationship. With Wentz. I think that is one of the biggest things that separates Ertz from Goddard. Now, Goddard has a fantastic relationship with yeah. Hertz, and I think Goddard had over 900 yards or 800 yards yeah. last year, and he was very much a go-to guy for Hertz, but there was something magical about the Wentz to Ertz connection. Ertz Absolutely. was Wentz's go-to guy. Ertz set the tight end reception That's right, record. he did. And I, he w- blew it out of the water. Yeah. Yeah, he did, and uh, Carson Wentz knew he could always find Earth somewhere and get him the ball. Agreed. Nigel Bradham or Nakobe Dean? Okay, I'm going Nakobe Dean on this, not to take anything away from Bradham, but I think he's just going to be an absolute beast. I think so, too. I was so bullish on Nakobe Dean right out of the get-go, Yeah, and I have only ga- grown more bullish on him. The more and more you hear about him. Yeah, and learn it sounds about like his football him. IQ is through the roof. The only thing that you look at on paper that gives you room for concern is the fact that he's a little undersized. His 40-yard time isn't very fast, but whatever he lacks in those, he makes up for in his football IQ, such that the reports coming out of the camps that they've done and the practices is it looks like he's incredibly fast because he's always taking a direct route to the ball because he knows exactly where it's going to be. So I'm, I'm really excited for Dean. We need Jordan Davis to swap some of his pounds over to <laughs> to Nicobe Dean. Yeah, <laughs> they're two from Georgia. They can do that, right? There you go. Yeah, Jordan Hicks or T.J. Edwards. I'm going to go with Hicks till I see more of T.J. Edwards. And Hicks had a really good season for us in the in 2017. He did, and, and he was a tough guy to replace. And I know I, he probably hasn't performed at that level since. 
So again, 2017 was just such a magical season with so many things coming together. So yeah, I'm 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 going with Jordan uh, Jordan Hicks on that one. I agree with you. I've been very impressed with T.J. Edwards. He was mm-hmm. an undrafted rookie in 2019 when we signed him. That's incredible. And he yeah. has very much outstripped what he was billed at. Yeah, if we can do that, I I understand why. They're not drafting linebackers. Yeah, that's a great point historically. To get up to TJ Edwards level. Agreed. Jalen Mills or Darius Slay? Yeah, I'm going Darius Slay on that one. If you ask me week five last year, I'm probably saying Jalen Mills. He did have a very slow start to the season. Yeah, and you know what? He's with a new team in a new city. Learning a new scheme. The defensive coordinator was new. new defensive coordinator. But second half, man, he was everything he was, awesome. he was built to be. And yeah, ended so. up being a pro bowler. Yeah, so I, I've got Darius Slay on that one. Ronald Darby or James Bradbury? Man, Darby was such a – we had so, such high hopes for Darby. That was just such you a – really did, and we pulled out the stops to get him. Yeah, I mean, it didn't play for – a year, was yeah, it? I, yeah, I think almost a full season. Yeah. And a lot of the things that they said were his strengths, like smart football IQ, ended up kind of being weaknesses. Like, I yeah. remember him getting burnt on the double move yeah. so many times. Yeah. James Bradbury, I mean, he's got a great resume already. He does. So I'm, I'm taking James Bradbury on that one. Last one, Malcolm Jenkins or Marcus Epps? Without a doubt, that's Malcolm, Malcolm Jenkins. Jenkins. There's no way you could. The only. Future Hall of Famer. Yeah. The only person on that same level is B. Dawkins. Yeah, you right. Know? Ryan you Dawkins. Got Jenkins and Dawkins, and that's it. I mean, you'd have to go back to, you wouldn't even know the name, Bill Bradley. Okay. He played the Eagles in the 70s. I think he actually did lead the league in interceptions one no year. No kidding, as yeah. a safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was. He was an all pro safety, but still not. Along the lines of Jenkins or B-Doc. Yeah, I'm going Jenkins, too, for sure. Absolutely. You know, making this list made me realize we really did have a lot of talent in the 2017 season. Yeah, and that's not something that I thought, I think anyone really thought of at the beginning of 2017. So, you know, we're talking about it here, and we recognize this is a talented squad. This is a talented team in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It, it there wasn't as much hype around the raw talent in 2017. Right. That was part of the magic of 2017 yeah. Super Bowl run. Absolutely. Was the way all those players gelled and the unit that they ended up creating. Yeah, you think of bringing Chris Long in. Yeah, Chris and Long. What a staple he became. Jay Ajayi at halfback right. ended up having an awesome year. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Graham looking incredible. Mm-hmm. The last topic I wanted to address is just some headlines that we've been touching on in prior episodes that seem to be coming truer by the day. Okay. We mentioned how we really did not understand what the Washington Commanders were doing with their draft picks. Yeah. And we were wondering, were these Ron Rivera, their head coach's picks, or were these right. picks coming from the front office? They overhauled their front office these past few years and a lot of the guys they brought in, if you look at their resume, they're clearly young and hungry and looking to make big moves to make a name for themselves. Okay. So we said there's likely power struggles right. going on in their front office, going on with their head coach, Ron Rivera. Yeah. And it's only a matter of time before all that comes out. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they're a group of analyticals, analytic guys. Yeah, it really will, because that could portend some of the future power struggles we have here in Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. Halaby and Lurie. Uh, absolutely. Julian Leary, that is, the son. So an article came out this past week talking about who, who's 
the commander's really good wide receiver. Oh, uh, Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, and he's potentially walking away from the team in his last year of his rookie deal. Right, yeah. And they obviously desperately need him. He talked about how Wentz was coming to Washington and we didn't know who he was going to have to throw to. Yeah, yeah, and McLaurin is a great wide receiver. How big a disaster would that be for the commanders to spend all all this money money on Wentz? Yep, to bring him in, and then the one weapon he has walks away. Yeah. And and that's what I was saying about how the commanders have had a slew of first high first round picks and they've picked well these last few years. Mm-hmm. They just got a new name. Ron Rivera is generally new, yeah. a brand new front office. They're ready to take off, you would assume, but it's just another one of these meet the new boss, same as the old boss situations. Yeah, no absolutely. matter who you put in Washington's front office or on their coaching staff or on their team. A new franchise QB and Wentz. Right. They're just going to be the same Washington same year in and year out. Old. Yeah, yeah. And then you throw in that, uh, their uh, stadiums falling apart and <laughs> people are falling on top of Jalen Hurts or, you know, it's just like, what a, what a, that's a disaster. It is. So just keep your eyes peeled for that situation to develop. Yeah. I imagine more of those internal power struggles will come out into the public eye soon under stressors as the season goes on. Yeah. And the first stressor is McLaurin threatening to not come back on his final right. year in, on his rookie deal. And the front office just not being able to handle that because yeah. I, I think there's so much dysfunction. Yeah, yeah, it certainly seems that way. The other headline we've been touching on episode after episode is just how good is A.J. Brown and <sighs> what he brings to this Eagles offense specifically as a wide receiver, number one across from our wide receiver number one last year, Devontae Smith. Right. And an article came out detailing how A.J. Brown is the number one wide receiver in the NFL when it comes to going up against press coverage. Oh, okay. He just cannot be pressed at all. He's just too strong, yeah. too fast, and too precise in his route running. Yeah. Too physical of a presence to be pressed, which... I got super excited when I read this article because the one struggle, Devontae Smith is a supremely confident athlete and deservedly so. Right. But the one thing that even he admits, if you watch any of his interviews over the past year, he struggles to use his hands to create separation when he's being pressed in press coverage. And I think some of the highlights that we watched against the Buccaneers. Yeah, the Buccaneers tape. And you could see he was in press coverage, couldn't. Couldn't shake it. Hertz had to dump the ball off underneath. It clearly was a problem for him. And if you watch the Cowboys game from last year, their cornerback number one, Trevon Diggs, really shut Devontae Smith down. Yeah. And he had that big pick six on Hertz. And he had that big pick six six on Hertz. Bringing in Brown, who press coverage simply doesn't work on, is huge for the Eagles. Much bigger than I had originally thought. It it fills another need, a a weakness we had. In our route running is, how do we go against the press coverage? Yes. And bringing him in, again, opens up the offense so much more. It opens up Devonta Smith. It opens up Hurts. And it opens up the roots, just the roots, passing roots in general. A synergy that A.J. Brown brings to that offense, and specifically the wide receiver core, it's huge. All right, DB. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, man. Awesome show. Yeah, great session. Go Eagles.